Welcome to episode 86 of A Half Frame of the Real Photo Show. Today we catch up with Lissa Rivera and BJ Lillis. And there was a lot to talk about because they have been very busy. Uh, first off, Beautiful Boy is still being exhibited. And if you're not familiar with that show, go to LissaRivera.com. You'll see that it has been written up quite extensively. And if you are familiar with the show, there might be some new work in Chapter 3 that maybe you did not see if you attended the show in its first year. Uh, so what else did we talk about? Uh, BJ is pursuing a doctorate in history, and his specialty is American history. And I think his dissertation will be on cultural and inter-ethnic contact in the colonial Hudson Valley. Uh, so we talk about how the current political climate affects the way historians view uh, political norms and political behavior in the context of previous presidents. And that's a fascinating conversation. And Lissa, who's a curator at the Museum of Sex in New York, uh, organized and curated the first U.S. museum exhibition for Leonor Fini, who was an Argentinian surrealist artist. And this is what Lissa wrote in her first paragraph of the description of the show. The Museum of Sex presents Leonor Fini, Theater of Desire, 1930 to 1990, the first American museum survey of the work of Argentine-Italian artist Leonor Fini. The exhibition will immerse visitors in Fini's life and career from the 1930s to the 1980s. Although Fini exhibited in major surrealist surveys throughout the 1930s and 40s and counted Max Ernst and Salvador Dali as friends, she rejected the invitation to officially join the group, disavowing movement leader André Breton's traditional view of woman as muse. Multi-talented and fearlessly forward-thinking, she refused to be categorized in any way, especially through gender norms. Her art explored the masculine and feminine, dominance and submission, eroticism and humor. She also went beyond the medium of painting to embrace theater, ballet, the illustrated book, and costume. She not only rejected tradition and social conventions, she insisted that identity, like artistic expression, is never fixed. It must constantly be open to inspiration and imagination. So that show is open through March 4th, and you can find out more about that show and others at museumofsex.com. All right, so that's all for now. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show, and we will talk soon. I know. When was the last time that we met? Well, actually, I was just looking that up for the show. Well, so we, I guess it was when we recorded. It was episode 51, and it was August of 2017. And oh, a, wow. a lot has happened with the two of you since 2017. Mm -hmm. I guess the time has just really flown by. Yeah. Uh, two years. Everything's just been very busy. So I just feel like I've been, you know, trying to meet deadlines all the time and <laughs> just trying to get through all of the things that you know to make everything happen so it's just flown by I don't know what's happened yeah I think I think when we recorded at the Museum of Sex you were maybe starting chapter two of Beautiful Boy does that sound right in 2017 yeah yeah, yeah had we had the solo sh we had you a solo had one show. big show 
And then yeah, you were moving so, yeah. somewhere to the Midwest, I think? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we've had a few solo shows, um, like at the Cleveland Print Room. That was Newport it. For Art Museum. And we have one up now. So the work after the Clamp Art Show has just been traveling ever since I had that show. For the most part, the work has been one place or another, which has been really wonderful. Yeah. And a lot of different communities in a lot of different cities where it means things in a different way each time right now it's up in a high school oh where's that really interesting yeah in millbrook and when we went there all of the high school students had been given assignments from all of their arts related classes in reaction to the work so they had written essays about it some had written um like dialogue for a play the students had all written captions for each of the photos and wrote the introduction text even. Wow. Um, so it was cool. really amazing um, to know that such young people are thinking about gender and, and our relationship and the history of photography and how to analyze images all through this project. And, 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 and what was it like? I mean, yeah. um, how, do you, how did they respond, react? I mean, sort of what... Um kind of a level of thought, you know, were they giving to it? You know, I mean, did it seem very personal? Did it seem kind of scholarly? It seemed more scholarly, like they were thinking about it, like there is a class on beauty, and they're thinking about what is what will be considered beautiful or valuable in the future. And so they were thinking about what gender will look like in the future, and also thinking about what will be valued, like such as nature, when we become after we become so increasingly dependent on technology. So I thought that, that was really incredible. I think that what the students re- reacted to the most was um, when we had our artist talk was the idea of how photographs make you feel and how looking at photographs of other people make you feel and how photographs can affect identity. Um, so that's really the heart of of our project, even though there's all different things happening, like gender and beauty and, and art history. But really, the, the heart of it is about how photography like makes you change your identity like throughout the day or, or changes your relationships with other people, like how it affects you in a kind of biological way. Hmm. Um, so I think that they all experience that in a, in a way that's very emotionally a lot, you know, young people like looking on Instagram, looking on Snapchat. Mm, um, that's right. Constant stream of images, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it and it's often put in a, a you know, the ideal way that someone might want to be seen. But I think what happens over time with this constant sharing of your life is the truth leaks out sometimes too, right? I mean, there's a you know, the 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 uh, the portrait you end up building of yourself actually becomes more honest, I think, over time. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. You know, and it actually reminds me a little bit of the conversation we had when we recorded and the way you started this project about how how when BJ opened up to you about wearing women's clothes, how you thought maybe the act of you making the photographs and maybe directing the photographs could be influencing or affecting how BJ was processing this aspect of his life. Yeah, and I think that... Um you know, what's funny about it is that there there was that anxiety. I think we both had it in the very beginning. And then uh, what happened, of course, is that we leaned into it. And because we're a couple and because we love each other and we live together, 
yeah, I mean, you better be affecting each <laughs> other, right? Like, I mean, that's like the like worst nightmare of a bad relationship, right? Is that you're both siloed from each other and you're not impacting each other. You're not growing together. Um, and so that, I mean, that's part of what I think people see in their work too, is that we ended up uh, growing together through this process and realizing that we both had something to give uh, to the photos and to each other. And it's all kind of related and, uh, and that it it's fun, you know, it's all, for us, a lot of it's about having fun. And it's the making art kind of fun, right? It's like tortured fun, <laughs> uh, you know, where you're trying to do something, you're trying to express something, we explore ideas, we uh, try and get at different feelings we have. Yeah. Um, you actually started to show some of the behind the scenes work I saw on your website. Yeah, um, yeah, it's really interesting. I was actually about Exactly last week on Friday, I was talking with Eleanor Carucci, who also who takes photos of her um, partner and her family and herself. Yeah. And her her husband was trained as a photographer and has a a history um, in art as well. But we're talking about how um, as women, really feeling like our photographs are still ours, like we're still directing them, and they're they're from our creative process and our body of work even though our loved ones are very much a part of the work and so uh, you were just saying um uh even though our loved ones are part of the work and then uh, i lost your connection <laughs> oh that it's okay that that it's okay yeah that it's okay that the fo- that the art is yours <laughs> mm-hmm. um even though so, even though they're giving you so much of themselves being the subject so close to it that it, um, as a woman, it's okay that you are the director, you're the artist. Right. <laughs> but it's and, complicated. Well, and the flip side of that, I, we talk about this all the time. We probably talked about it the last time we talked is for me, uh, I'm a model in, in this con- in this work, I'm a model, I'm a muse, I am a subject and I'm, I love that role. I think it's a very creative role and, I appreciate it now in movies and photographs and paintings that you see it, you start to see what the subject is giving uh, and consider it more uh, all through art history. And that's something we like, or a conversation we like to have about our work, but it's not about saying that, you know, the model is a co-creator, but not, I mean, also not the models, also the subject and the artist is still the artist. And uh, by seeing it, we're not trying to overturn anything. We're just mm-hmm. trying to point out a dynamic that's already there in all the art that that you've ever seen in your life. Yeah, but so how much do you, have you traveled with the show? You know, when it's been uh, on the road, because there have been quite a few exhibitions now. Do you, are you always there with the show? Do you travel, or is, is it traveling without you? Um, if there's like a solo show, then I'm able to go. A lot of times there's even help to like give me a place to stay or reimbursement for, you know, so, you know, but um, if there's not and it's out of state, I generally can't invest in going so much and I have to miss out, especially um, with all the other projects I have on my plate. I'm not always able to go as much as I would like, 
But if it's, yeah, if it's a solo show, um, there's there tends to be like a lecture or two and other events related. So then we, um, we go and it's really wonderful to meet people in different communities. Yeah. And um, I know that um, you gave a, a talk recently at the School of Visual Arts. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I um, did that talk. It went really well, actually. I didn't realize it was how, it, you know, I give those talks and then you don't think that they're going to be online, but even I'm talking to you now. <laughs> and then I, it's like the, when you Google my name, it shows up and I was like, oh, that was a good lecture. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> was that a panel talk or was, was it the two of you? Uh, yeah, it, it's the two of us. We actually usually give lectures together. I rarely do it alone. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a bit something a little bit unique about our work. It is. And we come together. <laughs> you know, it, it absolutely is. It, it is unique. You know, BJ, you were just talking about being um, the subject and the model and all that. But but it is a bit more. It is a bit more because you you I've, I don't think I've seen the two of you not present together about the show. Yeah, Alyssa certainly does present without me sometimes, usually because I have my own career. But I do think that I mean, the way I see it is I wish everyone was walking around with their models because <laughs> it's you just get a different perspective. You see it and people always want to know about the person in the photograph. It's human nature. And BJ always would come anyway because <laughs> we're <laughs> together. So then I would hate to ask, answer a question for BJ mm. when he could answer for himself. <laughs> You know, right. especially yeah. right now, we're talking together and, you know, we could, you know, we both have a voice. So Absolutely. That's really nice. And so, BJ, you were you were pursuing a PhD, I think, last time we spoke. Still am. Okay. Still will be. <laughs> <laughs> still, still, will, still will be if we do this again in five years. And you posted something really interesting. I saw on Instagram that a translation of a small document, I think. Mm-hmm. What was that? Uh, so I'm working on the history of basically cultural contact and inter-ethnic contact in the colonial Hudson Valley. So I've been digging through archives and I've been learning Dutch, uh, mm. learning to read Dutch. I can't, I'm not trying to talk to speak, so don't ask me to say hello <laughs> even. Um, but I'm learning to read Dutch and I found a document uh, filed in with a bunch of English documents and did my first uh, try at translating a, a Dutch document from my time period. And of course, I mean, what I said on social media is that, of course, it was about the price of flour and also, <laughs> like, even aside only being about the price of flour, which, like, who really cares, had been misfiled. Like, I could not, I do not know for the life of me why it is where it is in the archive. It was attached to a court case. It's clearly not about that court case, so. Oh. <laughs> uh, that happens all the time. That's pretty much my life is like uh, a laboriously reading complicated handwritten documents that usually turn out to be completely irrelevant. <laughs> That's what I do all day. And and so, Lissa, you, you've not stopped working at the Museum of Sex, right? You're still at the Museum of Sex as a curator? Yes, I'm still curating shows there. So you just did a, a a whole research and piece and writing on is it Leonor Feeney? Yes, yes. I, that really um, took off. Yeah. So um, Leonor Feeney is one of the most incredible artists 
of her time. Um, she lived from 1907 to 96, and she was completely integrated and equal um, within the surrealist circle, like that included Andre Breton and Max Ernst, and showed with everyone consistently, and had a very prolific and successful career, and was connected to like Jean Genet, who she collaborated with on multiple projects, and did costumes for, you know, Balanchine and Roland Petit and even Federico Fellini. Like, she was just this incredible Renaissance woman who didn't believe in binary gender. And her work is incredible, but, you know, because of the kind of patriarchal nature of art history, she was just not really included because she was in relationships that were unusual. She had two primary partners in an open relationship. So she didn't have, she had had, you know, affairs with like Max Ernst and was his dear friend for decades. But she wasn't like, you know, married to Diego Rivera. She wasn't married to Max Ernst. So um, there wasn't that part of her biography to keep her in the narrative. She wasn't Um, part of their biography, right? Yeah, not in a way. And and which would kind of like keep her within the conversation of that time period as much, although she was just as prominent in terms of her, you know, exhibitions. So I was able to organize the first ever U.S. museum show of her work. And, you know, it was really amazing to be able to do that at the same time. um, I worked with Alice Mann, who is, who curated the show about the retrospective of Dorothea Tanning's work at the Tate Modern. Leonora Carrington had um, a huge show open in Mexico City, and now Frida Kahlo has a, a large exhibition that just opened at Brooklyn Museum this week. So it was kind of ended up being a part of this huge year for for women artists who came into their own during the era in which surrealism was the um, main art movement and. It was really incredible to be able to rectify this um, very unfairly overlooked aspect of the art historical narrative and really make an impact in a way. Uh, it was an, an incredible opportunity to to do that right now. The show closes March 4th, but I mean, she she, she has intersections with photography too, like she was friends with Cartier-Bresson when he was quite young and showed and taught him a lot about art. And she was in his early photographs, one of which had his highest auction record, oh, or wow. had one of the highest auction records in the history of photography. And she she was in like um, photographs by everyone, Erwin Blumenfeld, George Platt Lines, um, Carl Van Vechten, Brassais, many photographs by Brassais, Cecil Beaton, just about you know anyone you could imagine, Dora Maar, uh, Lee Miller. So um, she was just this amazing woman, and somehow I was able to do this show, which was kind of a miracle, and people saw it. So it was really. Yeah, it, it, got, me- it meant a lot to me. It yeah. got it got written up uh, in the New York Times, and it ri- uh, um, oh, I'm blanking. Art Forum did a wonderful review this month. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it got nice press, and so you said the show is up through March fourth. Yes. And where where is that show? 
that's at the Museum of Sex. Oh, that is. Okay, that's at the yeah. Museum of Sex. Okay. Yeah. But the, was there was another another kind of ancillary show to this, a group show of work? Am I wrong about that? Um, no, I also curated a show with Carla McCormick and Vivian Goldman and a few other people about the history of punk music hmm. um, and the queer roots of punk music and the intersections of sexual culture with the punk era. So that was a really big show that had 50 lenders wow. and, you know, Johnny Thunder's leather jacket and uh, incredible <laughs> stuff like an original artworks by Greer LinkedIn and David Vonerovitz and Mark Morris Rowe. So that was, that opened like a month and a half after the Feeney show. Oh, okay. Yeah. So and then they ran concurrently. Yes. Yeah. So the punk show will be up a bit longer. Mm-hmm. And then I'm working on two more shows there at the moment. Wow. So uh, what I wanted to ask before, I actually uh, uh, forgot to, um, now that uh, the work has been out, Beautiful Boy's been out for a while, and you've done Chapter 3, and you announced there was some new work coming as well. But but over time, having spoken about it so much, has anything about the way you speak about the show changed? I mean, it's tough because I'm sure it has that, if we went back and listened to ourselves or, or read the first things we put out, that it probably looks pretty different from now. We tend to be pretty forward-facing. Mm. Um, I do think that every year that goes by, us meeting was a year further from where we are now. Um, of course, it's still important, but certainly when we first took the work public, you know, we did a lot of work very quickly and then we sat on it for a little bit and then we released it. And it, I mean, it all happened very quickly in retrospect in terms like from us meeting because we started shooting, we, we met and shot like, you know, we started shooting like instantaneously. We, the relationship and the project lasted the same amount of time. And so in the beginning, it, it was like this explosion in our lives and in our creativity that we were still kind of in awe of, I think, that and that we could have just talked about and talked about and talked about. And now it, I think that now we are more comfortable uh, with each other, of course, as any long relationship. You get to know each other better and better and better and you change a little. And so I think that our tone now is probably a little bit more contemplative and a little bit more thoughtful and a little bit less amazed I think we were kind of amazed I think at least for me I was kind of like and part of it was just uh, what Lissa was doing I, I was just like blowing my mind and she was introducing me to all this stuff I hadn't been exposed to and it was just like every week it was like whoa uh, and whereas now uh, when we work it's maybe a little bit uh, less impulse and more thought uh, which is is definitely not better or worse but just different that's how I would see it. I don't know if Lissa sees it the same way. I think it's pretty much the same. Like, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> like I'm always just kind of saying what's on, like what I'm feeling at the time. Um, and, you know, in interviews like these, because I think that that's really helpful to other artists to hear. And I mean, the new work is really different. So I just want to carve some space out for myself to be re- be able to really think about it before I talk about it. Mm-hmm. I think it includes me a lot more. And 
it's looking at gender in a different way and history in a different way. So right now I'm just hoping for some space to kind of grapple with how I'm going to present the new work. But we kind of have been working on quite a lot of stuff um, and I haven't shared anything really uh, that we've worked on for the past two years. So I've just kind of been sitting on it and waiting for the right time. Yeah, and and of course, having the the job at the museum and doing this work on Leonor Feeney, it's not it's not like you're sitting on this work and nothing else is happening. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> no. There's plenty going on. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it's good to stay busy and to have these experiences where you can kind of immerse yourself into other people's lives and help other people outside of yourself through these shows. It's always an, an amazing lesson. Have you, uh, and I know you said you want some spaces, so I'm not, I won't push too many more questions, but are you thinking about a book at all of the work? Yes, that would be lovely, but I would kind of have to have like a fairy godmother come and give it to me because <laughs> I don't really have, that's one thing I don't really have the time still to do the work it takes to kind of like send out like book dummies and organize it. I have all the images and we have really good text and then just some otherworldly spirit will have to kind of grant my wish. Oh, you know, I, I, I could, I could imagine me. there being interest out there. Me. I mean, I could see a, a publisher being very interested in doing this work. So publishers <laughs> out there, <laughs> contact Lisa and BJ, because uh, I think the, this would be, uh, there's a lot of potential here for, for a very interesting book. Yeah. I, yeah. People, someone recognized me like in the subway station in Herald Square. So I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, cause I'm always just, I, I'm always just running around working and I never know who's seeing anything. So then when people acknowledge that they saw something that I've worked on, I'm always just shocked. I'm like, because I always just feel like I'm at my computer, like typing away or something. <laughs> yeah. So, BJ, what's uh, what's ahead of you uh, in terms of the, the dissertation, the doctoral work? So I've got another, like, maybe two or three months before I have to start writing something. My advisor is kind of like, you know, March, April, you better start <laughs> putting words on, on paper. So that's coming for me uh, very quickly. But other than that, it's, yeah, research and writing for a few years. And then, you know, everything, I'm, I'm at the stage of research right, there, right now where everything's very open. Mm -hmm. uh, I can imagine all these different directions it could go. I'm doing very wide-ranging research, and so that is really exciting. It's also a quite scary and uncertain feeling. I mean, I'm, I am extremely fortunate uh, to be able to do this kind of work, and so I'm just trying to enjoy it. Yeah. Does, does anything in the sort of current political climate on immigration or things like that, does that seep into what you're thinking about and what you're, the work you're doing? I think it absolutely does. You know, I try not to let it get to me too much. And I also, especially compared to a few years ago, I've backed away from following politics a little. I mean, I still vote and I donate and I mm. do kind of the key things, but I'm out of like the, you know, day by day. I don't want to know about it. I don't know who's decided they're running to be the Democratic nominee yet. Like, I don't you know, I'm not at that point because you need to create some distance if you're going to think about uh, the, the past. But at the same time, I do think it 
has really changed how I think about American history in general, because where I had been, and where I think a lot of historians had been in the past 10, 20, 30 years, is we were kind of done thinking too, too much about politics, the Constitution, the origins of American constitutionalism. And we we all kind of felt like, like, how many books about Thomas Jefferson do you need? This kind of thing. And really trying to understand race and gender and, and violence and warfare and settler colonialism and all these processes. And what what the present political moment has done for me is to say that that's more important than ever trying to figure trying to understand as a historian the racial situation in our country its origins how what is race really because it's actually once you start thinking about race it's a slippery concept and how has it changed over time because it's something that's changed a lot over time but at the same time it, it's been like okay like hold on democracy is really important <laughs> The Constitution, would it, why it's written the way it's written, uh, what kinds of values it represents. I didn't believe, I, I really didn't believe that the American people would elect someone like Donald Trump. And so when they did it, it was a wake-up call that civic engagement is something that historians have to stay on top of. I yeah. Think. And teaching people. Just teaching uh, teaching the origins of American democracy and why our our country is set up the way it's set up, yeah. the the good aspects and the bad aspects, and that it's our responsibility to participate and to care and to take care of that system. Yeah, it's been pretty wild. I think I think the big wake up for me has been how I think we all believe that the sort of normal political behavior was hard coded into the constitution and our uh you know just just our laws and and you know the three branches of government and and the way this this administration sort of pushes the norms and rejects the norms you realize it's not <laughs> that that mm-hmm. these things aren't there's a lot that's not written down there's a lot that's that's not specifically stated as to what you can and cannot do and we're really yeah. discovering that now yeah and yeah a great deal of things that i think a lot of americans took for granted as you know, thing the way things had to be are actually based on the personalities of people who have held office in the past from how George Washington treated the office, how someone like Thomas Jefferson treated the office to how 20th century presidents like Teddy Roosevelt and Franklin Roosevelt and, and Eisenhower treated the office and all of that, uh, their personalities and their approaches shaped what people thought it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just like you said, it's not in the end, I, you know, there are no laws of human behavior. Like people can, you can put someone in jail, but you can't stop someone from doing something. Right. <laughs> you right. know? Yeah. So. Yeah. We're all, uh, we're all sort of learning the limits right now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's probably a, a pretty wide tangent. No, I don't, I don't think so at all. I think that's an incredibly important conversation to have right now. But, uh, Lisa, did you, uh, so I, I'm sorry if I missed it, did you mention what was coming up next for you at the museum? Yeah, so I'm working on some shows, but I haven't done, like, the press release for them. Oh, okay. So I'll talk about it um, in a few weeks. <laughs> oh, but I wanted to bring up, something came to mind. So when we did the first um, recording, mm-hmm. 
I said something that I didn't mean. By oh, mistake. okay. Let's correct it right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was trying to, I was, we're having a conversation at, about the anomalous and I think I wasn't explaining myself clear enough. And then, and then maybe you were trying to kind of say like, oh, do you mean like Ouija? Are you interested in the anomalous with Ouija as the example? And um, because he was finding people who were kind of anomalous or outsiders, Mm -hmm. but I didn't mean that. And I just like said, yes, Um, because sometimes, you know, you just want to be like, oh, yeah, you know, like, but I was like, oh, wait, that's being recorded. And that's not what I meant (laughs) at all. That's not the aspect of the anomalous that I'm interested in. I Mm -hmm. don't find that BJ is like a, an outsider. Uh, I think what I'm in, I think that maybe that might be some of the something that's more related to my interests as a curator but I you know like um, I think I was talking about working in an archive and after you see um, everything that fits into its time the thing that didn't fit into its time the thing that maybe was cropped differently or the thing that that the style was really unusual that is the thing that becomes more valuable over time. And and when you're collecting, it really comes to light. So I think I was trying to say that if you don't fit into your own time, that it's okay, that that can have some value historically. <laughs> but I think just to make it short, I just said, oh yeah, it's like Ouija, but that really Uh-oh. is not what I meant. <laughs> so, so I hope I was like worried after that. I was like, I was like, oh my God, people are going to think that I feel like BJ being gender non-conforming is some kind of like a freak show thing when I absolutely don't. So it was nothing about anyone. It was just me like being like, oh yeah. Uh (laughs) I don't remember anything sort of coming across like that, but, but yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm glad we cleared it up. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it didn't, it was like just so probably didn't so small and inconsequential, but then afterwards I was like, oh, I hope people don't think that. Well, even, even if, yeah. it, if it was a, a small moment, you know, we're, we are living in a moment where small things get blown up a little bit and, and things mm-hmm. can be taken, uh, uh, you know, in a way you didn't intend. So, yeah, let's clear it up. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you both for uh, calling in. This has been great. Did I miss anything that uh, was coming up? You, I know you, uh, there are things you don't want to mention just yet. Oh, yeah. Um, No, there's just like more um, group shows happening. And um, yeah, to keep an eye out, there's some other shows. I'm actually working on three shows right now. Wow. um, Curatorially. (laughs) And then we have, yeah, some shows coming up for the summer. So it's really amazing. Uh, We're in the History of Photography exhibition that's up right now at the Museum of Fine Arts Houston. No, that's great. Which is really cool. Um, So am I forgetting anything? Nope, I don't think so. It's so nice to see you again, even you though. Too. Yeah, it's just so nice to talk to you and to catch up. I, I am going, I promise, this year, I'm going to make a point of visiting the museum more so I can at least say hello. Oh my yeah. gosh, you can't miss the Feeny show for a yeah. You have to promise me. I'll give you like free tickets. Okay, I'm there. <laughs> Thanks. All right, well, congratulations on all the successes and good luck, BJ, with the doctoral work. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. All right. All right, bye, everyone. Okay, bye. bye.